Welcome to the Flank Mary podcast, a show about Gwent, but it's so much more. And I think that you guys by now have, I guess, kind of assumed that there's going to be Gwent content, but you're also going to get some little bits of wisdom from Shinmiri and I, and that is who I'm joined by again after a one-week absence out fighting crime. Shinmiri is back with us. Nice to see you again, buddy. Hey, good to be back, Flake. Welcome, everybody, to episode nine of Flake Miri, The Rise of Milvawalker. Yeah, that was a tough one. I tried to figure out what Rise of Skywalker could turn into and kind of, you know, situate it amongst where we're at and the angst of Milva. I couldn't really come up with something like Skywalker, Milva Walker, Walker, Milva, Sky Milva. I couldn't, it didn't really work out today, but, um, that said, today's episode is sponsored by Nothing. It's an all-new 2022 all-wheel drive, Bluetooth-enabled, um, GPS, the whole nine yards, absolutely nothing uh, but our hopes and dreams. Again, Shinmiri, what what say you? What plead can you make? If You know what? What sponsor would actually suit us? Like, if we could get one sponsor, what do you think it would... What would you want? Um, hmm... I mean, anything to do with computers and gaming would be fine, in my opinion. Like, you know, HyperX or whatever, like headset yeah. company, gaming chair company. Uh, like, I mean, you and I, HyperX, you and I both use HyperX headsets. We do. Ah. We do. So, you know what? what's better than a HyperX Cloud 2 headset with, with disgustingly comfortable... First of all, I've had these headsets for about six or seven years. I use them every single day for multiple hours a day. I take them with me to listen to podcasts on my phone when I'm, like, walking or doing whatever <clears throat> I'm on the train. These headsets are... I'm not, and this is not just a, a shameful <laughs> I'm like, we haven't gotten paid. It's like, no, exactly. Do you want to know how much I like or dislike HyperX Cloud 2 headphones? Well, uh, the people at HyperX have to sponsor us and we'll let you know. So send them all your, your mail and let them know that this podcast is waiting for sponsors. But for now, it's nobody. Yeah, and uh, as always, we start things off with the official Dagon rumor report. Still not a thing, but what I want to know, Flake, yeah. is what you and Berja did with the <laughs> Dagon rumor report last week. Uh, yes, last week. Uh, last week was a special week because Berja was on the show instead of you. Uh, so we didn't do a mailbag, but we did dive into a few things, one of which was we did talk about the whole Renfrey thing, and then we talked about Dagon. Uh, and again, the script and the whole Dagon rumor report thing, he he read it, and he's like, and then he dove into it, saying that it's not it's not happening, like, it's not on any, it's not on any, like, I think, chopping block in the short term, let's say, mm -hmm. but apparently it's something that they, they are, isn't not out of the realm of possibility of actually becoming a thing so is that because of us i'd like to think that perhaps you and i <clears throat> and the constant you know shameful you know little little bird seed i've left out regarding dagon and every single broadcast that cdpr puts on that i'm involved with i think that that could be partially part of it like in the same regard that that renfrey guy has you know been knocking on that door for almost half a year over half a year now I think that, you know, for for us to say that perhaps if Dagon comes back, it's because of us, I'd like to think that. Yeah, maybe. I wonder how many people actually believed that Dagon was coming back because of you. <laughs> <laughs> I, I will say this. The, the demographic of those who believe what I say is dwindling. However, there are still a select few that still fall into my, my naughty little traps of Dagon nonsense. Every time that there's a CDPR broadcast and I say something fog related or Dagon related <laughs> or weather related, like, let's be fair. I'm completely speaking directly out of my ass, but at the same time, it's not the worst thing in the world. You know, like it's nice to give people hope where maybe there was none. And who knows, maybe in a year from now, maybe in March, we'll see Dagon. Like, I don't know. I, I don't know these things. It, it might, it I might think it's happen. totally possible. I think it's totally possible. They have uh, an asset, like an art for it that's unused, right? Dude, so all the stuff's there, right? Like all yeah. they need is game text. Exactly. All right. Uh, so what happened this week in Gwent four years ago? Well, now, as I was digging Shinmiri, and I was dying for this one because this one... <laughs> It's a really juicy one. So what happened in 2017? 
uh, around in this week. Uh, I'll let you say it because it's a really, really nasty one. December 2017. Gwent was on a high. Mm-hmm. Challenger number two, I think, just happened. That was the one in the Nilfgaard Castle. And now... It's the middle of the winter, <laughs> and Gwent Midwinter <laughs> patch comes out in December 2017. Uh, what was that all about, Flake? Oh, boy. Well, um, let's dig into a little bit of Gwent history here. And you're right, it was on a high. And also, the fact remains, uh, my friend Shinmiri, is the fact that they had made some lofty promises in terms of what the card pool would be by the end of 2017. They said that the card pool would be like 500 cards, if I'm not mistaken. And at that point From in time, the update alone? No, or no, no, just no, 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 no. Game? They said oh. that in the entire game, the card mm-hmm. pool would be at 500 cards by year's end. That was a promise that they made that year if i'm not mistaken now in december the beginning of december there was like just shy of 400 cards so they needed to drop one hell of a content patch uh, at the end of the year and it was one of those things where they kind of now i'm I'm obviously being over dramatic here but basically what they did was they it was the equivalent of rolling a grenade into the room and then leaving the country (laughs) Like basically, they they dropped midwinter on us and then went on vacation, which everyone's mm-hmm. entitled to in vacation. I'm not saying that, you know, shame on them for doing that, but they dropped a the midwinter update, which in reality was um, a little less than ideal when it came down to not just the content that was dropped, but the direction in which the midwinter update took the game. Yeah, like my memory is even a bit fuzzy about it now, but... I remember, okay, Midwinter Update introduced the keyword create, mm-hmm. which a lot of people were not happy about because Gwent was seen as a game that was really, really low on RNG, super focused on skill and outplaying your opponent. And create was reminiscent of the Hearthstone keyword discover, right? Yes. And people were getting like massive Hearthstone PTSDs. These are a lot of people came from to Gwent from Hearthstone as Hearthstone refugees along with the life coach wave promised a, a, a promised land where skill triumphs over rng and to see this rng heavy keyword create put in the game people didn't want any of it like they didn't care what if create was actually healthy or not it was just like a knee-jerk reaction to hate it yeah uh, essentially, there were I'm, I don't want to call them shortcuts because I like I don't want to necessarily, you know, put into question the the abilities of the people who created these cards. But at the same time, there was a lot of cards that were essentially just kind of mirror images of each other. Like there was a play for four damage by five. There was a play for four boost by five. There was a play for five damage by four. There was a play for five boost by four Uh, there was a lot of these types of cards and then there was the entire situation of play a a low to the ground unit like a one cost unit or a one strength unit to spawn another bronze card from your opponent's faction or of your faction so uh, this was also i think at one of the pinnacles of what you know at the time the re the the reimagining of what bronze value should be because keep in mind this was i think before uh there was like there was still the four four gold six six silver whatever amount of bronzes but mm-hmm. so the, the bronze value uh was set around it was like nine conditional 11 or something along those lines but an average of 10 was what you wanted to get it was like between 8 and 11 was where your bronze value was going to be so when you play a create card that is a base value of two there's a really good chance that of that create you're gonna find something that's gonna fit the mold to take you over the top and this was also the the emergence of essentially what is, in my opinion, was basically a calculated and and like fully parsed out mathematically correct um, dwarf list that was like this is a list that is the maximum amount of pa- a maximum amount of points that you could possibly get out of any like out of these six silver four gold whatever slots and was it uh, was it casino dwarves. At least. I don't know if you'd call it casino doors, but it did have a lot of create mechanics. But it became because it, it was very, it wasn't exactly an interactive 
deck list. So the game basically became like, okay, I'm down by nine points. What card in my hand will get me 10 points? Was that uh, the patch that had War Dancer? Yeah. No, no, War Dancer was after Homecoming. Was it after Homecoming? I don't yeah. remember. I don't remember anymore. I'm telling you, old man memory. Uh, uh, it's War Dancer the- was the card that like could randomly jump out of your hand or something like yeah. that, and or 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 out of your no when you mulliganed it. When you mulliganed, when you mulliganed it. it, it would jump out and it would prevent your opponent from dry passing. Basically, get you card advantage. Correct. That was the nastiest thing that ever happened in that game. Uh, <laughs> I mean, let's be fair when, and I don't blame you for not remembering these. A lot of this, I would yeah. probably, if I had any kind of medical degree, it would be like a PTSD. Uh, if I were you <laughs> frankly, just like blocking the stuff out, but that dwarf list was basically that it was like, here's a, a very solid list. That is ve- all proactivity for massive amounts of points. Uh, this was also part of, do you remember the, you must remember this, the, like how to how to make like five bronze uh bronze card advantage spies i uh, not bronze yes this uh, was the introduction so- of summoning circle mm-hmm. summoning circle was introduced in this pa- in in this midwinter update that allowed you to copy the last unit that your opponent played which would include uh silvers it would be bronze or silvers i don't think it would copy golds but it would include silver, so if your opponent played a spy, you would summoning circle to play the spy back, and you would keep the card advantage that way. It would be a way to play a second silver spy. And any deck that didn't play summoning circle would just be down on card advantage, like 80% of them. Yeah. Uh, it was basically, for those who don't know, the silver spy was, it was like a high-value, a disloyal unit that drew you a card. It had an additional effect, but ultimately, your whole objective of having that card was it allowed you to bleed your opponent in round two without potentially giving up a card. Um, creative players used to line, like they would do the summoning circle thing. And so they, were, they would line up like three or four of them on their opponent's side and then just igni them all down and have a massive amount of cards. Uh, so it didn't even matter at that rate, right? So midwinter update to say the least, um, was, I mean, let's be fair. Was this the catalyst for the redesign that became homecoming? Yeah, I think so. I think like the, there was such a negative reaction after midwinter that like early spring in 2018, CDPR was like, okay, we fucked up with midwinter. We're going to have to, you know, figure out how we want to take the direction that we want to take the game from here and we're going to do something we're going to move the design more towards the original vision of gwent and do a project homecoming and you know shake uh, redesign things shake things up make it into a way so that we can continue producing and designing new cards for the game without being locked into the system where we have a very limited design space because there was no provision system in beta so there wasn't this additional lever for the devs to balance things with, balance cards with power level. Yeah, it, like adding that extra knob to dial cards back or up or whatever, like the provision system was super important. I think that it was incredibly, yeah. um, it, it's almost like a pseudo mana system in terms of how you play cards, but you know, like for other card games, you know, where you have to pay for them to a degree. It's kind of like you're paying for them in the construction phase, you know, in the, in the, yeah. in the deck building phase, which frankly is important. And, you know, for those of players who are, you know, above average, they, they understand the fact that sometimes if you're keeping, if you see one or two different cards, you're like, okay, if he's playing provisions in this, he probably doesn't play this or that. Or if she's putting provisions into this card, then she's probably not, doesn't have space for X, Y, Z. So frankly, um, the provision system is a nice little reboot. I mean, uh, Midwinter was like the villain we needed for the hero that eventually rose to be Gwent as it is now. But you're right. It, like for all the quote unquote Hearthstone refugees that left the RNG element, the create factor, which was immensely dialed back. I think that that was something that they they walked back quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, is is we have create now, but it's to a degree where it's controlled create. Like cards like Brothens, cards like Hatori, like these are the kinds of create that that we we want to see. But people, what people yeah. need to understand is back in the day, create was just like uh, was always seeing plus value. Like there were more like 
the create back in the day in midwinter was more like the Uma kind of create where the pool was massive and the variance was high rather than stuff like Brothens or Arturius create where it's like based on your starting deck or a small pool of things like for example, like Rune Word has a limited and Bountiful Harvest up until this patch. Even this patch, it still has a limited uh, pool of things that you're creating from. Yeah. Uh, part of it also was that people were just upset of the fact that it's like, okay, I'm going to put, I'm going to use a Rune Stone in my silver slot. And I know that this silver card is probably going to be worth about 12 to, to 17 points for me. But there's a there's an outside chance that I roll like the 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 nuts that i roll the particular answer i need mm-hmm. uh so it it really soured people's experience because they would have a significant lead and then sudden, suddenly somebody you know high rolled a silver that was the perfect answer to the particular like high rolling into an abaya that then produced a lacerate to punish a row people were like come on like they don't even play monsters and they you know they they high rolled this mm-hmm. card or whatever you know so the the um, the the outcome of what what we see now and if people are complaining about how certain cards have create value i, I haven't heard a single complaint about create in all honesty up to now mm-hmm. um because even a card like gerhardt I think is is a product of of the developer team learning from the mistakes of midwinter and and the the haunting aspect of what create used to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I think as long as like the pool is limited, the variance between the results are generally, you know, pretty even, and we don't have like super uh, crazy outliers in the create pool in terms of value. Then I think it can be healthy. And it can be skill intensive because some of these create cards, you have to pick very carefully when the timing of when you use them, because uh, you want to set up a situation where you have a lot of good outs and not that many bad results, right? So that the chances of you finding something good is high. Yeah. Um, so there you have it. That was it. I mean, it, we there were other things that occurred this week in Gwent. There's a lot of like um, holiday events and stuff. But and frankly, once I kept scrolling back, I said, what week was it? And then I found it. I was like, yeah, we're just going to talk about this because this is probably the most poignant event in Gwent history. Uh, so four years ago this week, I believe it was exactly on the 18th or the 19th. So it's within this kind of wheelhouse of time. But yeah, there it is. Uh, midwinter update, uh, Shinmiri. Uh, four years ago. Yeah. All right. So moving on. As always, we have your questions uh, in the mailbag around the corner. But before that, we want to discuss the 12 new cards we got. Because one week ago, we uh, received a patch with 12 new legendary cards. And uh, yeah, how do you feel after one week? What are your opinions on these 12 new cards? We also got a hotfix today. Yes, the hotfix did happen uh, today. So today is the 14th of December. That's when we're recording this. And uh, the hotfix occurred uh, today uh, to to the pleasure of many, as myself included, and to the, uh, the, the ignorance's bliss of some others that I faced on ladder who dropped the Radovid playing, <laughs> playing Uprising and was like very curious as to why it didn't work. But the 12 cards we got, Shinmiri, again, we've seen this in the past. I think we got it last year as well or something like that. The, there was the patch. Earlier where, this year in like February or something. Yeah, it, which feels like eons ago by I now. I know. Um, but like the Bruver patch, I call it the Bruver patch, but that mm-hmm. patch, um, these cards are, are spectacular. And the more time that it elapsed, like I know that the first thing was people were saying, okay, Radovid's broken. It's way over the top. It's like we're 30 plus points. Sometimes it's just, it's ridiculous. Get it. Awesome. Yeah. We, that is well documented and it has been fixed. Milva, however, I still don't think that Milva is as big of a problem as many other people do. I think that it is might be slightly overtuned, certainly, but this outcry of people that want Milva to die and be erased and yada, 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 I mean, I don't think that... This is not just going to be a full rant about Milva, this whole episode. We're going to dive into all the cards to a degree, uh, but I just want to give my first impression, and that is the fact that Milva is slightly overtuned, and I wouldn't be surprised if there's a slight change to one element of milva i don't know for sure what that's going to be um even if i did know i couldn't tell you but at the end of the day 
Uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised if there's a slight change to her to a degree, but I think as she is now, I think she's still okay. I think she's fine. I think that the outcry for Milva is the fact that she supports an archetype that people are already not having a good time playing against, but at the same time, a lot of that angst, I feel, Shinmiri, is the fact that these players don't necessarily hate the card. They just hate playing against Control, and I get that because Control is not always a pleasant experience, but don't hate Milva because you can't beat Control is what I'm saying because... There are ways around it, and if you're if you're too stubborn to change your game plan because one card is beating you, and you just you want everyone else to change, that's on you. Because you could play a whole different, you know, play a different card game or not different card game, sorry, but play a different deck, play a different archetype. I played Deathwish. Milva didn't really have as big of an impact on me when all the stuff that they're killing was they were losing value on. Um, I. Yeah, I think that you uh, you definitely are probably you definitely have a point that players hate control and hate getting their cards touched by their opponent, whether that's in the form of damage, killing all of your engines, or like mill with Nilfgaard doing shenanigans to your deck or your hand or whatever. Yeah, people hate getting their strategy disrupted, and that's definitely added some. Uh, hatred or level of outcry volume to the anti-Milva people out there. You don't, you didn't really hear as much of uh, an outcry for Radovid because Radovid with Uprising was just points on their board. It wasn't stopping you from doing what you wanted, right? Right. Um, so yes, control is part of it. Is part of the reason why people hate Milva, and yes. There are ways to play around it. There are archetypes that are better against it, like Deathwish, like you mentioned. But I have to disagree with you that I, that when you say that Milva is fine in terms of power level, um, I think she's really, really strong. I think she's close to equivalent of a 30-point card at 11 provisions that you would play from your hand. So basically, she's, I, I think her power level is roughly similar to that of Radovid with Uprising. Um, and because she's able to answer, she allows you to answer so many different things, uh, with your leader charge, with, uh, making a bomb, with saboteurs, dragoons, Malena, uh, rock barrage even. So, um, yeah, I think she's too strong and I think she deserves a nerf, but what that will, if she will get a nerf or what that form will take, I think we'll have to wait until at least January to see because the hotfix is out. They didn't do any balance changes in this hotfix. It was solely reserved for bugs and bug fixes. Mm-hmm. Um, so stuff like Weavis Incantation, Morkvarg with Onslaught, Radovid interaction with uh, Uprising and stuff like that. So the the part about Milva that, I mean, the the 30 for, for 11 provisions, I mean, you have to have it perfect on the spot. I ran into Northern Realm Shields, and mm-hmm. it was an absolute nightmare. Uh, the The Milva interactions were <clears throat> awkward. They were suboptimal. It didn't quite work out. Same thing when I played against a Deathwish list or any list that ran a lot of armor. It was problematic. It wasn't clean. Uh, for, for decks that just willy-nilly threw units on the ground, like, um, you know, playing against a, let's say, a... Um, a Nilfgaard list that ran, you know, you have, you throw out there and automatically your Blightmaker gives me plenty of targets for bombs and movement and death blows and whatever. I think, I th- I, I agree with you. I think that she's absolutely, probably the strongest of all the new cards, in my opinion, because not only is she strong on her own, but you cannot touch her. You can't do anything. Even my my Saskia has had treason kill her mm-hmm. so many delirium. times. Yeah, delirium. And, and yeah, delirium, treason. Like, there are ways to do it. I was even thinking, like, is it worth it to even run Blizzard? Like, most of the first <laughs> units that they play is... Uh, Blizzard kills, like, the lowest all the lowest units on the board, right? Yeah, so it's usually a four, and so there's two fours there. One of them Saskia, and yeah, you could Blizzard both of them. And you Blizzard both of them. And that's not the, the worst thing in the world, right? There are ways to do it. And I get it, it's not always feeling good but i think that the nerf for her like don't change her ability don't give her devotion um i you know i think the what you need to do is give her a a tougher way to put her back in the deck and 
ultimately, two points of damage is not easy to do. You know, if you're if you're stacking it, but maybe that two should become a one is an option. The other option is maybe you just nerf her provisions. And I hate to say that, but maybe you just have to choke the rest of what that deck wants to do. But ultimately, I don't think that solves the uh, solves the problem. Like provision buffs and, and changes, I think, are typically <clears throat> the the when the card is just right, you maybe hike a provision or deduct a provision. But when the card itself and how it operates is what's kind of oppressing everyone else and and promoting that that particular deck then that's a, a a tough story but i mean in in reality there like when i'm playing that mill of a list and i'm up against something else and i'm just like like up playing uh you know playing the mill of a list and, and running into like symbiosis you're like holy moses like i'm never gonna not have a target to kill like it's just gonna be so easy mm-hmm I I uh, think that yeah I really like the design of Milva I think it's super flavorful I think it's really skill intensive in terms of like figuring out how to sequence properly to make sure that you figuring out what answers you use for what targets and what sequence in order to keep the death blow alive and so that she can go sa- safely back into your deck and not get killed through damage or stolen or whatever and then you just don't get her anymore for any of your movements. Um, I, I just think that her numbers are a little bit too high. That, yeah, she could use, like you said, that uh, change her order ability from two to one damage so that not only is she losing the range of how much damage she can add to a movement to remove something, but also make her significantly harder to get back to the safety of the deck with the death blow and with a death blow one instead of a death blow two. That would be a pretty big nerf, but I think it would still be a strong card, and I think it would still see some play in certain archetypes in certain decks for Scoia'tael, whereas right now, I feel like she's so strong that she's kind of hijacked her way into every single Scoia'tael arc. Yeah. And so I, I wouldn't want her to be, like, this auto-include level. It's... I'm trying to, like, equate it to something else, but, like, you know when a card is just too good that you you have to shoehorn it into anything, any idea that you want? Like, like, Fakusha. Like, Fakusha's so damn good that it just goes in everything. It goes in all of your Squatel, uh, sorry, all of your, your Skellige lists because it's just that damn good. Um, as, you know, same thing like Sunset Wanderers. Like, Sunset Wanderers was, uh, when it came out, was, I'm like, this is just too good to not have in absolutely every single deck. Like, you had... Yeah. Sunset Wanderers, Skellige Witchers, Sunset Wanderers, um, you know, uh, Hyper Thin, uh, Nilfgaard, Sunset Wanderers, this, that, whatever. Like, every deck seemed to have a variant of, uh, of itself. De- Devotion decks went out of their way to break Devotion so that they could play Sunset Wanderers, and yeah. that was just how good it was. So you're right. I think Milva is is is, is certainly overtuned. I think I like that, like, but like you, I said, I like the flavor of the card as well, and I think that it, it was a card that was meant to promote movement, because movement never really got off the ground. It kind of had legs at a certain point when with the the dryads and the uh, the elf sentinels, uh, I think they're called sentries. Uh, yeah. The uh, the the uh, cat witchers bouncing around and doing their thing. Like there was there there that bronze package for movement is hum- is humongous. Like that is a great engine package that you can have. But it never got off the ground because it never beat Symbiosis in terms of points or anything like that. It never was better for point slam style stuff than the Alzer Precision Strike list kind of was uh, in that regards. Uh, you know, it, it's a it's a card that really tried to put that into relevance. Much like Torque tried to put Hand Buff into relevance, and it it was out. It just it was like imagine imagine Milva is like Torque, but but on steroids in terms of what it does for the particular archetype it's trying to support. So much so yeah. that, like you said, it has basically shoehorned its way into every single variant because it's that good. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Uh, that's exactly. Milva. So what do you think about the other 11 cards? We spent so much time on Milva already. Yeah. Okay, so we spent everything all this time on Milva, and I think rightfully so because it is clearly the best one. So, But in my honest opinion, my favorite card is Jan Calvate, and I'll tell you why. Because Yan Calvate allows for you to, and I was I, I played uh, a Yan Calvate list with um, with tactics, uh, probably about five or six hours one stream, and what I found with it is like it doesn't matter what's on the 
tail end of your deck. I had a 26 card deck because most of it was just du duplicates of useless uh, tactics so that I can have an enslaved six, guarantee my Calvates in hand, and then just steal something for six. And it is such a huge tempo play that you can use to steal big pieces. But the reason why I loved it is that when you go into round uh, round two you know exactly what you're drawing and you know what your joaquin is getting so you have such a you have so much reach in round one with your leader ability and doing your nastiness and just playing your blight makers or playing whatever cards you have for tactics and whatever and then you go into round uh into round two and you can double joaquin and if you haven't played your blight makers yet and you've lined up your deck that joaquin is probably gonna go blight maker into blight maker for massive amounts of tempo and you're kind of out of gas for round three for the most part, but ultimately you're probably so far ahead in that round. <clears throat> and uh, in that list, I ran a Damien. The, 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 um, the beauty of, of Calvate is the certainty of what you're getting. It just, it's basically the ultimate thinning card. You don't need to thin with it because mm -hmm. you have reliance. It just basically cuts off the bottom half of your useless deck. It just trims all the fat out and allows you to perfectly draw exactly all the fire you need unless you run into mill and they absolutely just ruin your show that's <laughs> which has happened yeah i also i really really like calvite as well i think it's a super creative card uh enable some two zero strategies it's also difficult to play it's not something that you just always want to play in round one especially if you end up losing round one you'd actually maybe rather play it in round two so that you don't have a handful of really really good gold as your opponent just like bleeds so much value out of your hand so I think it's a yeah I think it's a pretty creative kind of card. Uh, I was playing brace for it. Don't shoop Radea Calvite. Shoop Radea Calvite with Enslave Five. I was playing that today. It was a deck list from one of my viewers, Trader from Uranus. Got to give him a <laughs> shout out. And I he. <laughs> i don't know why so like no matter what it is either we're streaming or casting or doing whatever anytime i hear you say something that i would say with pure yeah. joy it just it just cuts through me and i love it sorry <laughs> so yeah so he shared this deck list with me and it looked pretty interesting it looked actually maybe kind of good it played calvate with shoop and Redea, like no other consistency consistency tools but you would draw all your top end anyways and I went 7-0 and zero with it on stream. 100% win rate, undefeated, beating no units Milva, beating Jackpot, Savola, and other weird decks as well. So the I think the 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 beauty of the card, besides the fact that it just is, it creates a completely reliable draw system for your deck, is the fact that you can... It, it, it's a card, I think, that needs to get a little bit more work put into it a, a few more people to sort of just break it to find the perfect sequence of what they're going to draw and the timing of when to drop it because if you suspect you're going to lose your you're going to lose round one you probably want it to play uh as part of the bleed or to just drop for the dry pass in round two so that your round three is pure fire um so i think that it's a card that if i was going to make a hot take kind of prediction i think that in a couple weeks it is going to be probably the calvate calvate nilfgaard lists are going to be fairly strong that's just my impression i think that there are smarter minds than mine out mine out there that can probably put work into it and figure it out but i'm i'm waiting and, and ready for assimilate to not be the nilfgaard uh go-to yeah, it's interesting. Um, and honestly, I, I don't think we have time to talk about all 12 of these no, cards we'll, we'll in detail. We'll pick like one or two more, but yeah. I I want to say that I really like... I just can't believe... I, I'm so pleasantly surprised by how much the meta has shifted with just the introduction of these 12 cards and like a couple of balance changes. And there are so many more viable archetypes now, and if this is a sign of what's to come with CDPR's promise and pledge to kind of revitalize old underplayed archetypes, uh, bring them up to the power level of current archetypes that are already in the meta, then I'm really happy for this because I feel like there's 20, 25 plus archetypes that are pretty viable now at the 2,500 MMR level. Well, today, uh, so I got to pro rank today with uh, Quad Maddox Arrakis Queen, 
Mm-hmm. And then and then immediately after, this was the sequence of games I played. I got Hyrule milled. Uh, then I got beaten by a Cambi that sniped my Detlaf. Then I got Aguara Trueformed into the most majestic of cards that would completely shut me down and killed me. Uh, what else did I get today? Uh, oh, and I got Vigo Muzzled because I was playing against a, a list that I thought was, I forgot what faction it was, but they had already played Heatwave and I didn't suspect anything else. So mm-hmm. I let my Detlaf sit on the board and, oh, it was Precision Strike. And I had already seen the heat wave. And I'm like, what else could you possibly do? You don't play locks. So what did they do? They pinged it with an arrow and then Vigo's muzzled it over. And <laughs> it was like, what the hell is going on? Like in a sequence of three or four games, I experienced such the entire world was upside down. I went from the standard procedure of, you know, the grindiest of grinds, which is rank three to zero. And then mm-hmm. I got let into this wonderland of nonsense where all these cards that I hadn't seen in a long time popped up, but you're absolutely spot on that these 12 cards, as strong as they are, and they're probably going to get attuned a little bit more in the next patch, has uh, revitalized a lot of, uh, of you know, the existing, you know, metas or not metas, uh, archetypes that were there kind of floundering a little bit. And it's nice to see because I think everyone was kind of tired of where we were for a little while leading up to master season three so you know but i'm really hoping that it's sustainable that the next balance patch kind of keeps things okay uh mm-hmm. and and fixes things to the degree that new things sprout up and new things kind of continue to develop but it's nice to see uh vampires out there doing nasty things you know flyers pirates. pirates um movement obviously but there's like um there's so many night like tactics are, are a thing again because of calvate and ardal and all this other nonsense like there's just death wish yeah death wish absolutely uh so many ways to play it and it's nice to see and uh all right let's do one more card and then we'll hit the mailbag uh you know one more card that kind of caught you not by surprise maybe but uh you know i told you that yan calvate was my sleeper pick and my favorite of the 12 there's got to be one that you're thinking is probably going to make a make a, a resurgence or kind of spike in, in popularity. I think uh, Ardle is a card that a lot of people in the community underestimated at first. And because partially because they maybe didn't understand exactly what the card did. But I, I saw that, you know, when they announced Ardle the day before the patch even went live, a lot of people in the community were like, this card is just bad. And why would you ever want to play it? But Ardle, I think now a week gone i've played it a ton i've seen other people try it out it's a lot better than people think it is um it's like a dandelion poet that has three better stats and uh also has this bounce reset capability on certain units that are boosted that maybe don't have a deploy and you can get a Dandelion Poet with better stats as well as a reset, all kind of rolled up in one. Really good against, for example, tactical advantage used on engines that they want to protect for something like maybe like an amphibious assault into a student or whatever, and then you can just bounce it back to their hand. They have to play it out as like a four, and then it gets turn age ousted or assassinated or coded weapons, which you couldn't do when it was protected by the AA, right? Uh, exactly. Um, you know, trying to protect some of your units to get them going engine pieces, things like homodryads that have just been, you know, go out of control and get super tall and whatnot. Our is basically what it does. It's like you're basically removing that card and giving them a crappy card that they put a lot of stock into to draw a card. And if you take that in conjunction with Yan Calvate, you've basically given them a draw of a four or five provision card for your next best card in your deck, right? So it always trades up and you just got to hope that your opponent puts a lot of investment into it. But um, you're right. I think that Ardal is a card that like like you said, it's like they got this laundry list of text on it that people are just like, what the hell? Like, I don't even like, let me play it and I'll see. But once you realize what it does, it's quite significant. It is quite significant. So um, fascinating that, you know, my favorite card and your sort of sleeper pick are interesting card, both Nilfgaard cards, which are kind of suitable given the fact that it's a it's a faction that usually plays 
on the sly, so to speak. It's it's not mm-hmm. always in you know up in your face like let's say uh, an Arrakis queen is, or or, some, or like the new Regis is. But uh, yeah, great twelve cards. I gotta say, I don't think that there's one whiff on all of them and for those who might suspect something like Ardal or whatnot are kind of weak i think that there's still time for these cards to develop and people are going to be creative and you're going to see competitive uh lists that probably include a good half of these cards for sure mm-hmm. i agree oh. all righty well uh that is the end of the first portion we're going to be around uh back around the corner with the mailbag friends again your submissions to the show you can send them to shinmiri and i on twitter on twitch on reddit wherever you catch us uh you can go ahead and send in your questions we'll be back with the mailbag Welcome back to Flake Miri, episode 9. We're at the mailbag portion of the show where we answer all your burning questions, whether it's Gwent-related or not. So, Flake, why don't you uh, start us off? All right, I'll go first. Uh, this one comes from that Dude's Dude uh, on Reddit, and uh, I'll paraphrase here. What is the most sustainable way to keep Gwent relevant? Is it power creep to make new cards playable, introducing new mechanics or keywords? Is it frequent balance changes? What is it? So... What will keep Gwent relevant? And I guess if we're going to tie into this, Gwent is relevant. It's absolutely relevant. It might not be up there in terms of the stratosphere of like Hearthstone or Magic, let's say, but it is certainly a relevant game because it's so unique um, that it's it's a it's just it's hard to equate it to other things. But what what would you say, Shinmiri, would keep Gwent uh, keep keep Gwent um, you know stable and growing? Yeah, I think a lot of the things that the the that dude dude posted are are good suggestions, right? Like frequent balance changes, new mechanics and keywords, uh, and keeping to keep things fresh. But for me, the mo- the most important thing that I want to get from Gwent when I play it is, I, okay, I want it to be fun. But what is fun? Fun is different for a lot of people. But for me, I would like to see. Uh, a large variety of archetypes be successful and competitive and viable so that you feel like you have choices and options and different ways to express yourself via deck building and playing and your deck choice and not feel uh, that you have no chance against the, the meta's top dog. So I think we're doing pretty well in that regard right now. Like we mentioned earlier, a lot of different viable archetypes right now I think every faction has like at least three different viable archetypes that uh, I can think of in terms of just like doing well on the pro li- pro ladder. Um, maybe it's not so true if you are doing if you're trying to be the best of the best to try to climb to like twenty seven hundred MMR or like to try to win Gwen Opens with. But I think if if your goal is like twenty five hundred top five hundred uh, pro rank, you can play so many different. What's worth noting is that when you look at other card games and their archetypes and their factions, quote unquote, to have Gwent have multiples of every faction be viable. Like I got to pro rank with a quad Maddock monster list. That's not like if you you want to get to pro, maybe you play Kelly, maybe you play Frost Control, maybe you play like you know Relics or whatever. Like, there's so many different ways to do it. You can get to pro rank with so many different options, and that's something that not many card games have. Because if you're playing Hearthstone, it's like, all right, this is the Warlock list that you're gonna play. Okay, well, mm. what about the Paladin list? Well, eh, there's nothing good, but if you want to try, this is really your only option, and you really have to get lucky and you have to do it well. Okay, well, what about? Um, you know, uh, Hunter. Well, Hunter has two options. One's very good, and the other is like, it's oh good. Okay, what about one's Mage? go face, and the other ones go face a little harder. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no, you're not wrong. So what people need to understand is that it's actually for as men as much criticism as Gwent may have, where it's like, oh, the meta is only five decks. Really? Go play other games. The top of the ladder is not five decks. It's probably two. So or the, three. Or yeah. Maybe three. Exactly. So the fact that Gwent right now has this many decks that are viable, not just like don't get me wrong. 
you know, on any in, on any 48 hour snapshot of a meta, you're probably going to have three or four dominant decks, but that's constantly shifting. It's it's I think that if Gwent wants to remain relevant, obviously content is important. Tournament scene is important as well. But frequent balance changes is the way to not have to release content every month or two but it it's it's in itself it's a revitalization and a rebalancing of of the content that exists to make sure that it is it is it is proper so every month you probably they need to revisit and rebalance and i'm not saying along the lines of completely rework what what gwent community needs to stop immediately doing and polluting gwent reddit is is reworking cards that are that that don't see play immediately because if everybody listened to Gwent Reddit and reworked every single card that every that people post on there, cards like I saw people wanting to change Osril. I've seen people wanting to change um, you know Detlaf and people wanting to change this and that. Well, new stuff comes in, new balance changes come in, and then suddenly these cards are relevant again. And I get it; not everything is going to be. Uh, or not, you know, Wolfpack is not going to be uh, a, a seven for four that most bra- faction specific bronzes are. But at the same time, turning it into something that's stupidly OP is not going to save the, the game either. I think that balance changes are important on the regular, you know, after that content and just supporting of the um, the competitive scene. And that plus, I mean, let's be fair, whatever this Golden Necker project is, which I'm not lying. It's not in my NDA or anything like that. I legitimately have no freaking idea what it is, but I suspect it's something cool. So that new new content in the form of not cards as well is probably a big yeah, one as well. Exactly. Um, all right. Next question we've got from Charbroiled Monk via Reddit asks, "Who has the larger glasses collection out of you and me?" <laughs> well, I don't know about you, Flake. I basically have like one pair of main glasses that I wear every day. And then I have like a backup pair, which is my old glasses. The prescription's probably not super up to date. And I almost, I pretty much never wear them. I would only wear them if my main uh, set broke for some reason. Yeah. Uh, When it comes to glasses, Shinmiri and I are not fashionistas, wherein this is my pair for when I go out. This is my pair for when I do this or do No. When we have our glasses, like it's these are uh, objects of necessity. I don't know what your prescription is, Shin, but mine's minus eight in each eye. So, um, like you guys can Google what that looks like, what minus eight looks wow. like. Yeah, it's um, it's the worst. It's like I cannot. If my glasses are off, I and and I were to read a book, it would have to be probably about an inch away from my eyes because Jeez, that's I, I, yeah, I don't know. I, I did not realize that that's really, really bad. Uh, I have, I think like minus three and a half and minus four and a half between my two eyes. And I thought I was kind of pretty bad, but like minus eight is legit. Yeah. It's, it's absolutely God awful. Uh, so I wear these, these glasses right here were legit. Now, I will say this, the brand name are Prada, but they were on sale uh, by a large margin and they just happened to suit my face. And people are like, oh, Prada. I'm like, yeah, they were like $100 for the frames. And the and uh, the other thing about it is they have been like hyper thinned by as okay. much and they're still like Coke bottles. So like, they, they've got like Nilfgaard Imperial Golems in them. <laughs> yes, they do. Is what you're saying. <laughs> Yes, they do. They're that thick. They're they're imperial golem level of thick. But uh, in terms of glasses collection, I like you should marry have my old pair as a backup, which are in a drawer. Uh, should these ever get lost or broken? But in mm-hmm. that case, in all honesty, if these get lost or broken, I'm never finding that pair anyways because I can't <laughs> freaking see. Oh, I hope not. I hope that day doesn't come then. No, uh, it won't. So when I cast without glasses, it's because I have uh, my contact lenses in. That's uh, that's the other part about it. So, yeah. Uh, all right. This one's from Aditya Mulia on Twitter asking, what tips do you have for someone who wants to start a career in broadcasting? So I'm not sure if they mean broadcasting as like streaming on Twitch or more like trying to become... Uh, a shoutcaster or an analyst in like official esports tournaments, these sort of things. Well, we because, can. Uh, so, in a previous episode, I think you and I gave 
streamer tips, like on how mm-hmm. to grow a stream or start a stream. I mean, we could take it from that regard as well, but also I think it's just important. Uh, let's let's put it this way. Let's say they're already streaming. How mm-hmm. do they become a better broadcaster in terms of just the the act of you know yelling at a microphone, so to speak? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I feel like... I'm not an expert on these sort of things, honestly. Uh, I, I don't know if I feel super qualified to give advice on this stuff, but I, I feel like you got to have your own brand or something that you specialize in. Like, I think for me, I try to make my content very educational and analytical so that people who come to my stream uh, are here for high-level gameplay as well as like how to learn, uh, learning the game, how to play better, how to um, pilot certain decks better. And that's kind of the brand that I've built for myself. And that helped me get noticed by CD Projekt Red. And they eventually uh, gave me a chance to be an analyst at one of their tournaments. And once you get your foot in the door, whether because you have a specialty or you have a lot of followers or viewers, um, then it becomes much easier to get more and more opportunities in the future. Right. And uh, that is certainly it. Uh, that's, That's a great piece of advice um what i would add to to that is having um this just like everything else it comes with practice and experience it's like uh, playing a guitar the more you do it the better you'll be at it the more frequently you do it you can get rusty at it uh, at it as as it were uh, for you know like uh, the the first cast the first series of any Gwent Masters that you and I are casting for me is always a tough one. I mean, for me at least, I know that I after the last Gwent Masters, I remember after day one, I me- I messaged you privately and I said I think I did. I'm like I I, I felt crappy or uh, about the first quarterfinals because I felt like I was I was bad. I felt like I was lagging, but then it, it kind of caught up. It's one of those things that you just develop for. What I will say is um, having a um, Expanding your your vocabulary to a degree is very important as well, and this is not a, an indictment of anybody, but in regards to how people kind of assess situations or describe situations, the crutch, everyone has a crutch, I have a crutch, other people have a crutch, but the most common crutch I find is people saying that things are interesting, that this is an interesting play, it's an interesting card, it's an interesting thing, it's an interesting that. Not saying that it's not, but in ultimately having expanding your vocabulary to describe things is very important for yourself growing as a bod- as a broadcaster as well as being able to just be a little bit more flowery and descriptive about a particular situation. It, it makes that particular situation more unique than the previous one when you change up the vocabulary you used to describe it. Um, I'll say I'd say that and not everything needs to be i don't say acknowledged but I, I'm, I'm taking this from the, the perspective of like shinmiri and i working together on a broadcast if somebody says something you don't necessarily need to bridge that what they say onto what you're saying with something like saying absolutely or exactly or or for sure or whatever you could just go with it and that comes with experience and i have always been uh, the first to admit that I use crutch words all the time. I say things are fascinating or I say things are, you know, this or that. But um, practice is 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 crucial to this all the time. And, uh, you know, coupled with what Shinmiri says of just being, being, digging into what you're good at. If you're good at analytics like Shinmiri is, dig into that, you know, show people what you're bringing to the table. And I think that that's important. Yeah, so... You heard it here first. Bust out the thesaurus, so expand your vocabulary and know what to say without I, having to. I, I know. About Listen, it too much. I, I'm not trying to. I'm like, this is not me saying this from a perspective of just kind of like dunking on anyone. That's not what this is about. But I, I, I find that a lot of people tend to lean on on a word to describe things, and I. You're absolutely right. Yeah. Yeah, and and sometimes it's just there because it's an easy word to lean on that is better than just saying something is good or fun. It's interesting. And but ultimately, you know, playing uh playing a a, a, a Dolbothana sorceress from Bountiful Harvest isn't interesting. It's 
pretty straightforward. Like it's it's not an interesting selection. It's a mm-hmm. it's an obvious selection. But if something is truly interesting, then you should be able to describe what is interesting about that play or that event. And that's exactly yeah. Exactly. That's what you should say instead, instead of saying, oh, that was interesting. Yeah. It's a, <laughs> you know, like, oh, um, he used the assassination to kill not Horson's Freak Show. That is a unorthodox choice. Like, you know, that's mm-hmm. it's interesting because that was probably the prime target for that spell, but it did not go there. Like, you're right. And uh, but again, practice makes perfect. It's not just a spell for mages. OK, um, here's one. What are your goals for 2022, and what do you think Gwent's goals for 2022 should be? This is from Marimba Guy on Reddit. I think that you're, it was your turn to read, and I just, I'm sorry. That's okay. That's fine. Uh, my goals, at least when it comes to Gwent for 2022, I would say I would like to write more written guides for decks. Um, I'm, I don't think I'm really going to get into YouTube. I've tried the YouTube thing. I didn't feel like it was really for me. Um, I enjoy streaming quite a lot and I write, I really, really enjoy writing written guides. And earlier this year, I, you know, I wrote some more guides for decks that I was, in, that was, I was passionate about that I really enjoyed. And also some like strategy stuff too. Like I wrote a Reddit post detailing a really good strategy to beat the meditating mage spam deck a couple months ago. Yeah. When that was out. And I, I really enjoyed that. And, and the community uh, responded really well to that. So I, I'm hoping to do more things like that. Yeah. You were kind of sitting on a pile of gold that like smog would be jealous of the amount of uh, Reddit. Uh, oh yeah. Reddit the awards, awards that I got. So why like you're first of all you're on youtube like right now like this this podcast is housed on youtube but i get it like it's mm-hmm. not it's it's produced by 983 and mark this is a big part of this and all that but um why don't you do youtube just out of curiosity uh it's mostly a time thing like it takes so much of my time i don't know when i try when i made youtube like video deck guys before it i'm sort of a perfectionist when it comes to stuff like that. And I don't want to do some half-ass job where I just put a clip of my Twitch VOD onto a YouTube video and slap it there and be like, all right, here you go. Give me 10,000 views uh, on this video. Like I, I would make basically a, a long introduction detailing all the cards and how they're used in the deck and then the strategy, the general overall strategy, some matchup specific strategies, some cool tactics you can do with the deck. And by the time I did that in the production of the video and cutting the stuff and making things sound good, like if I if I try to say part of my guide and there's a little bit of ums and ahs and it didn't feel very smooth or it didn't feel like I was, I, it felt like I was like reading from a script or something, I would try to re-record that and it would just take so much. Like one video that had a 20 minute introduction section and two games on steps uh, pasted on afterwards. And these games would be off stream games. I didn't want to reuse on stream games because on stream games, I'm like talking to chat and it's just like weird for a YouTube uh, environment, I feel like. So all in all, it would take me like eight, nine, 10 hours of production time total to make one video and it was just not i don't have that time to do that well uh your your written guides were, were awesome by the way um so what about what about your personal goals for 2022 like outside of gwent i mean you don't have to yeah. tell us but like you, th- you mentioned that those were your, your gwent goals and mm-hmm. i completely respect that but i'm just curious just like you know uh, is there a, a new year's resolution you want to slap down on us too i mean it might be too early for that but for um mainly Personal goals, I think mainly just like be healthy, take care of my family. My mother-in-law, who's living with us right now, uh, she had some had had some health issues with her heart this past year. So I just want to make sure that she's okay with that and and just be there for my family. And yeah, that's mainly it. That's what they do. Well, they're lucky to have you, buddy. Um, what about goals for Gwent for twenty twenty two? Hmm. Well, we already got the roadmap, right, from CDPR. Yeah. There, I would, I personally would love to see an expansion of the esports scene in Gwent, but it doesn't sound like CDPR is going to do that themselves 
for this year. Um, maybe with if like if there are other communities out there that want to support the esports scene with like prize pool and stuff like that, that would be really awesome. I would love to see something like that for the Gwent community. Yeah, I think that, that I think Gwent should focus. I mean, focus primarily on just. I mean, I know it's out of their hands to put these tournaments back in in uh, in person. That's definitely out of their hands. They can't really do anything about that. Uh, I think, like you said, just making sure that the the esports scene is as smooth and streamlined and like no drama or BS. Uh, just get it done. Uh, but also, I think that they need to they need to kind of branch out because I feel like they've just basically nestled themselves in this nucleus and uh, you know treading water is not the right word i want to say it just feels like they're just comfortable within their environment and i think that there's this kind of uh, feeling of agoraphobia when it comes to uh, to gwent where they don't like to just get out of their own little space to explore um one thing that i proposed to them a while ago that had the okay from vlad but it but that was before he was game director was a north american championship and they were going to fund it and it was going to be a two day affair in Florida where we flew out all the, the qualifiers and we're going to do an on location. We were going to rent two houses, like two kind of mansions or whatever with pools. There was going to be the production house and then there's going to be the, the, the player house. We're mm-hmm. going to fly them in. They were going to play. It was going to be a two day tournament scene where we were going to crown a North American champion. I think that they need to, and I'm saying this completely selfishly, but they need to have a little bit of a bigger boot print in North America uh, because they've. I think that they're they're pretty solidified in Europe, and uh, I think that North America is dominated by Hearthstone. It's dominated by Magic, obviously, Lore, uh, Legends of Runeterra. But I think that Gwent can kind of ruffle some feathers if it decided to just slam down a prize pool just for North America and say like, listen, we're, we're slamming down 20 grand for a prize for a tournament for Gwent. And I think it could, I think it could go down. I think it could, it could work well. Um, but yeah, I mean that, that, that's what I think Gwent should start looking to uh, looking to is just kind of stepping outside of the, uh, of the house and just, you know, exploring, exploring a little bit. Like the way that I see it is that Gwent is kind of like, sam from lord of the rings where it's like he takes that step and he's like if i take one more step it's gonna be the furthest from home i've ever been but they haven't left the front yard you know like mm-hmm. i feel like they- i yeah i'm with you on that i would love to see something like that uh, a north american championship or for other regions of the world and just uh for for gwent to yeah step out of their comfort zone and try actively try to expand their borders and expand their reach to members of the community or who maybe not even know that the game exists right now yeah it's it's a good game for us you know they they had their uh this past july they had WitcherCon. cd project red partnered up with netflix to do WitcherCon, and i wonder if that relationship maybe can have more potential than is currently being used right now in terms of utilizing the netflix witcher series to promote gwent and witcher 3 and potentially witcher 4 whenever that comes out yeah, like CDPR, when Gwent was new, like they were out at all these conventions showing the game off, bringing mm-hmm. in people, you know, paying Kriparian to <laughs> to stream the game and do things like that. Like they were, they were, they wanted everyone to see how awesome it is. And what's, what's very fascinating to me is that they were showing off the game at that state. Then, you know, midwinter happened, there was some issues and they kind of turtled a little bit from the marketing department and showing off the game. Mm-hmm. But the game as it is right now is in its best state, in my opinion, than it's ever been. So now yeah. is the time that you should be like, check, take a look at this. It's been a little while, but look how flashy and awesome this is. And people are trying it. And yeah, it's unique. And yeah, it's different. But maybe you like different because you know what? Frankly, uh, I didn't know I liked Calamari until I tried it because it looked you know ridiculous when i saw it but but i tried it and now it's delicious so it's one of those things where like you know have a look look where we're at right now and i think that that's something that they need to work on so that's just my stupid way of saying marketing the game and maybe having a little bit of a bigger boot print in north america as for personal goals i don't know man like i'm just happy to be alive like that's basically where we're at i'm just glad that i'm here with you and doing the the podcast and 
my objective in 2022 is if you don't hate me by uh by the end of it is to have maybe another like 50 of these in the books that's kind of what i'm hoping for <laughs> awesome all right then yeah i think that about wraps it up for this week thank you guys so much for listening flake i love you man Hell, I see you took it right out of my mouth. I love you, and we and we love you who listen to the podcast, friends. Again, uh, thank you so much for listening to Flake Miri. If you have any questions or you want to submit to the show, you can do so by tweeting at me at Shinmiri. You can uh, reach us in Discord on our Twitch streams. Uh, leave a comment on this video, and please, friends, do follow this YouTube channel and uh, catch us on Spotify, Google Pods, and Apple Podcasts. And as always. You're not losing if you're learning, friends. Keep shuffling the cards and play. You might win. Shamir and I will be back next week. Bye. Bye.